Hi, this is Suparna Goswami, Principal Correspondent with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure of speaking today with Anush Tiwari, CISO at HCL Technologies. Today, we will be speaking about third-party risk management. The topic becomes all the more important as RBI recently fined Yes Bank $1 million for data breach. That was more to do with the third-party issue. Thank you, Anuj, for joining the ISMG discussion today. Thank you for having me, Suparna. Pleasure talking to you. Anuj, in today's globalized world, the average company has numerous third-party relationships. And these parties, these third parties help the company grow its business. At the same time, they also bring along new risks, including your IT risk and the regulatory compliance risks, etc. In your opinion, how difficult can onboarding of a client get? In fact, what are some of the security challenges that can crop up as more often than not, firms are more concerned about their own security than really looking to the third party security? I think you hit the nail by correctly pointing out to the fact that businesses are getting globalized. Everybody's core products, services, in terms of having more alliances, relationships and forms of vendors or third parties, whatever name we may give to the relationship is a fact which is a non-deniable acceptance of business today. That being said, third parties have also dominated the news. You pointed out the Yes Bank example, but if you also see most breaches in the past five to 10 years, think of Landis Software, Dairy Queen, Target, they were all essentially breaches which happened because of a material weakness in the ecosystem beyond the core business. And when I say ecosystem, I mean the third parties that we just talked about. So when we are onboarding a vendor, it becomes very critical that we understand what and how much are we about to give access to one of the third parties. The access could be in form of physical access. The access could be in form of logical access. And all the more the logical boundaries, as we all understand, in terms of cloud, etc., are getting diminished by the day. So it becomes very difficult to sometimes identify and earmark where your crown jewels lie. And if you are fully aware as to what kind of access you have given to your partner on it. Now, while some of these challenges may exist in an evolving digital world, what's also important is to kind of ensure that you are protected if unfortunately things turn to legalities. So while onboarding a partner, I think it's essential to look at some of the key contracting phases which ensure that you have right to audit. You have procedures which document cyber insurance. You have procedure which talk of termination. You have approval procedures in form of the fourth party use. So somebody becomes a third party to you, but what if they have subcontractors ensuring that the service which is delivered to you has access to a fourth party for your critical data or your customer's PII, SPI, financial data, whatever industry you may be in. Then talking about how that third party will ensure and assume liability clauses in case of cyber breach and so forth, confidentiality of data, protection of your intellectual property. So earlier, all of this was fairly simple. There was a brick and mortar building. There was a network we were protecting and we knew where the start points were, where the end points were. But like I said, things being on the cloud, I think really worries people in my position. And I'm sure this is a pain felt across the industry. But to sum it up, as far as we are looking at the right amount of confidentiality, intellectual property, incident response, right to audit, and fourth party use clauses along with insurance and termination, I think gives you a high level framework of the key points that should not just be discussed and talked about or assessed, but should be contracted right from the beginning. You mentioned a lot of challenges. So as a CIS, as a practitioner who has probably experienced such challenges, what according to you should be done to overcome these? 
Sure. I think what's important is to simplify stuff in life, right? So now organization of, let's say, a hundred thousand employee, 200,000 employees, and I've served a few of them and I've lived through some of these life cycles. What's important is to, first of all, categorize and understand how the lay of the land is. So if you have partners which have access to your digital data, whether there are partners who only have access to your physical premises and whatnot, and if it has access to data, then what kind of data? Is that data your trade secret? Is that data your intellectual property? If you lose it, what the impact would be? So to put it in simpler terms, one should be able to plan and select and let's say risk segment the tiers for a vendor. So to give an example, let's say a tier one vendor becomes somebody who has access to the areas I call out, whereas a tier two or a tier three vendor does not necessarily have access to your critical data, but does have logical access into your network, which can potentially lead into a vulnerability. But by design, you have not given them access to something that is sensitive. Then you got to kind of understand how this flows into the risk segmentation to the actual contracting, which we just touched upon earlier, to the overall governance of the vendor in terms of having regular assessments and then ensuring a graceful exit. So you've got to kind of adopt a framework like this, which lives through and sees through that your vendor challenges and your risk prioritizations are segmented. Okay, so it basically means not having the same risk assessment policy for everybody, but having a different one for different vendors, depending upon the kind of accessibility they have to your data. Absolutely, and just to build upon that thought, it's also important to save ourselves from audit fatigue. I mean, talk to any CISOs, talk to any risk officers, and they will tell you that they have thousands of vendors they are dealing with. And the question is, how much money do you spend assessing each of these vendors? Do all the controls apply to each one of them? So as you rightly said, choose who your critical vendors are, choose who your critical third parties are, ensure a different rigor of assessment, ensure a different rigor of review mechanisms on them versus the ones that may not be the usual suspects. So so once a client is onboarded after you know a lot of research and everything, the next step is getting into a third-party contract with them, as you've mentioned. In your experience, what are some of the risks that one should keep in mind while framing a contract? Sure. So there are several factors that one should look at. What I refer to them as the risk dimensions. So if you look at it, risk can be posed in terms of, let's say, a geopolitical dimension. It could be a financial stability risk, could be a consumer risk, the prominent one, which is the information security risk in terms of a regulatory risk and strategic and compliance related risk and so on. So when one is devising a contract, one should ensure that there is adequate level of liability that gets assumed by not just the core company, which is engaging this third party, but the third party actually puts their skin in the game, makes sure that there is adequate solutions to assess and answer some of the risks that we called out. Of course, they will differ again largely upon the industry one is coming from or the regulatory bodies that may already be governing them by a framework from a regulatory perspective. But if not, then we've got to look at these risk dimensions and ensure that they are well documented to ensure a healthy contract. Okay, so can you share with our practitioners on governance and third party management, how one should go about it? Any lessons that you can share? Sure. In my life cycle of third party uh, management, what I've learned, unfortunately, not the most easy way, 
and I wish somebody shared this with me was that when we are talking of onboarding a vendor, it's not just about risk segmented that we talked about. That, that's a given, right? Because that will determine what kind of focus do you put on the contract? Is it a negotiable one? Is it a non-negotiable one? I'll give you an example. So let's say there is a customer which has access to my customer's financial information. Let's say I'm a credit card processor and I outsource the work of accepting the payments to another business partner. Now, the partner, I want to make sure my contract has exceptions which are not demonstrated to leadership. So should my CEO be aware right in the beginning or should my board be aware right in the beginning? Or when you are talking of governance, do you kind of do a pre-contract assessment? So understanding what clauses you put gives you legal indemnity. But there could be some material gaps on the ground. For instance, one may demonstrate a control but may not be able to execute it on the ground. So as an organization who is outsourcing the data or to put it in more technology related words as the data controller the person who's owning that data eventually did you do enough diligence or did you do what we like to call in the industry as due diligence on the customer or the vendor or the partner and make a go no go decision keeping these risk dimensions in mind so it's very important that not just a contract is signed but before that access actually is enabled one is able to do a pre contract or a pre go live assessment and note the risks and ensure they're mitigated over a period of time. And then when you touch upon the actual life cycle, it's not necessary that one should go and audit all the vendors all the times. Like I said, it's it's a very uphill task and it's not you know an easy job to do, it's an expensive affair. Hence, you may also want to think about the fact that the program that one organization may run may not still answer all the questions. And thus using the work of other auditors. For instance, if one of the organizations is already issuing an audit report, to give you an example, a ISO 27001 certificate or a SOC 2 type 2 report, which actually talks through the control and the five trust principles that the SSA framework has laid out. So you might want to kind of reuse and ensure that the framework that you built has the capability to understand what risk areas are mitigated if you are given one of these reports. So to simplify, if I receive a 27,001 certificate from a partner, does my framework tell me which controls are cross-referenced to 27,001 so that I should not be spending time, money, and my resources in auditing them again, thus reducing the dependence on my team and my partner also so, so that they can also focus on their core job. That's a very important learning that I have seen while dealing with almost 12,000 vendors in my current job. And that's the scape of the vendors that we need to audit. So I'm sure that number kind of throws things off the ground and say, how do you kind of really deal with them? And hence the framework, hence the right contract, hence the right review and review acceptance mechanisms in terms of setting the risks off. And to sum it up, important also to look at revocation or termination procedures. So talking about termination procedure, how can one ensure that the exit is gracefully done? The PIIs are secure, the data is secure. How how would you ensure that? Very valid point. What really happens is it's the excitement of getting into a contract. It's the excitement of getting into a new relationship. And there are excellent transitions. Work goes well. But sometimes when the contracts end or sometimes when the things go sour, not necessarily everybody focuses on aspects like asset and data disposal, things like accessory revocations. So you may have third parties, which are thousands in numbers, and you may have given them access to your data centers, 
your databases, access to your portals, APIs, whatnot. And if we do not ensure that we have adequate procedures which look at third party access revocations, look at the obligations that the vendor has in terms of self certification or by independent third party monitoring, stating that they have disposed of all the critical data, all your personal sensitive data, for example, which I'm sure was encrypted while they had it, but when it is deleted, were any standard procedures followed or not? Or if they did, how do they ensure that it gets communicated well to you? Also from a graceful exit perspective, you gotta make sure that you also don't have some reverse obligation towards the vendor. I'm not talking of stuff which is led to financial in terms of payments. I'm talking of us having their sensitive data as well. More than not, you will realize that in the digital world, the information exchange is so rapid. And in so many forms, there is social media, there is data coming in terms of analytics, there is cloud, there is devices which everybody brings into offices today and whatnot. So you don't really have control of all the data all the time and hence ensuring that you don't have access to somebody else's critical data because who knows, you may also be a partner to somebody else who may or may not be reviewing you well and you do not want that partner to get exploited and becoming the part of that hack process and exposing somebody else's data. So it's I think it's really a industry responsibility and ensure we are sensitive towards everybody's intellectual property and the sovereign right of citizens of having their private data secure, which we as businesses have access to a lot of times. Anuj, I wanted to check with you. You mentioned earlier about periodic reviews. So what part does automation play in these reviews? So like I said, you know, I gave you my own example. So let's say I hypothetically deal with about 12,000 vendors in my current ecosystems. So one, if I start to go and assess these 12,000 vendors, it is not humanly possible. We all know, but sometimes we don't necessarily apply right in the beginning is automation. So we all know how the reviews are done. There are several standards available in the industry, but how do you make sure that whatever assessment that you want to get done is either done by you or let's say technologically enabled so that your partner can come in and do self-assessments. Now, self-assessment gives an opportunity for the wide array of industry partners to come and declare any material vulnerabilities or exposures that may have. Now, you may retrofit those risks into your ecosystem and understand which ones do actually impact your business environment or not. So it gives you the ability to pick and choose. So summing it up, it's important that some sort of self-assessment or risk reporting or incident reporting is enabled to whatever level of technology automation your firm can get at. Okay. And then deviating from the topic a little, given the attacks that have happened in 2017 and since we are the last quarter now, so what are some of the security trends you feel will dominate the year 2018? 2017 has been a lot of crime-related industry uh, coming up. We saw ransomware attacks. But now, in the years to come, uh, we know that the criminals are getting smarter. So what's important to do is ensure that from a security trend perspective, you are doing your threat and vulnerability management right. So ensuring that whatever you have in infrastructure, First, you know what is out there, then sure that it is mitigated properly in terms of patching, updating. Another thing that's becoming very critical, application and data security. So DevSecOps is another 
area where I've been talking to my industry peers. And it is something that everybody has been focusing around the application development. Now you see in today's world, if you see a lot of organizations are known by their applications. So if you think of Facebook, you think of the page which has the news feed and you see that the businesses solely lie upon how their application behaves, the consumer experience it provides, the functionality it provides. Similarly, businesses are moving towards mobile apps, internet-based apps. That being said, applications have been some of the highest threat vectors. No new vulnerabilities, the basics again, but the idea is doing it correctly and the idea is to do it right. Then to kind of round this up, uh, something that we are seeing again in the industry is around identity and access management. Identities are still continuing to be the number one dark web crime area, something that we need to really focus upon well. So going back and doing your identity and access management right is very important. And to sum it up, to talk about the new kid in the blog, Internet of Things. Everybody is getting connected. And when I say everybody is getting connected, everybody has everything, whether it's a device, whether it's a car, everything has direct connectivity over the Internet today. I think we have to be very conscious of what privacy implications it has on us, what kind of data exposure it brings to us. So something that I think industry also needs to reflect upon and uh, take care of in the year to come. Thanks, Anuj, for sharing our thoughts on third-party risk management on some of the interesting trends that will dominate 2018. Thanks, Suparna. You were listening to Anuj Tiwari. For ISMG Nisha, this is Suparna Goswami. Thank you for listening.